brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, we're going to do the show on Parenting 101 today. (laughs) So, you know, it it is one of the uh, biggest long-term investments you'll ever make is to be a parent. So, But you have to be prepared to put far more into it than you get out of it, at least for some time. You know, given the structure and the stresses of our life today, uh, the business of couples, that you know, the happiness of couples totally plummets the minute they become parents. And it gets worse before it ever gets better. But in the long run, however, it can be the most rewarding job of your life. You know, from, from talking and reading to infants to making values clear, uh, parents exert enormous influence over children's development. And they are, however... Not the only influences, especially after children enter school. It's especially important that parents give children a good start, but it's also important for parents to recognize that kids come into the world with their own temperaments, and it is the parent's job to provide an interface with the world that eventually prepares a child for complete independence. You know, in this changing world that's so fast and furious, parenting seems subject to to fads and changing styles. And parenting, in some ways, has become a a competitive sport. You know, uh, people use Facebook to try to promote how their family is so happy and does all these great things. But, you know, the needs of child development is delineated, you know, by science. Uh, And it's relatively stable, Parenting is is, uh, not having to reinvent the wheel. We want to borrow from things that we know. We want to borrow from our parents if they were good parents. We want to borrow from people that we see as good parents, but we also want to learn. And sometimes it's really cool when a couple will come in or a single parent will come in just to get some help on understanding how to parent. Because, you know, when you're in this job doing this therapy with all kinds of people, you see the backside most of the time rather than the front end where you could stop a lot of bad things and give people a lot of great tools so they can harmonize their family. You know, there's such a thing as too little parenting also. You know, the lack of parental engagement often leads to poor behavioral outcomes in children, and it's because it encourages uh, the, the young to be reliant on peer culture. And, and ironically, harsh or authoritarian styles of parenting can have also the same effect where they're too afraid to talk to their parents. So basically, they, they, they get uh, brought up by their peers and by the influences. You know, some parents go to ludicrous lengths to take the bumps out of life for their children. You know, however, uh, parental hyper-concern has a net effect of making kids more fragile, and that may be why they're breaking down in record numbers. You know, since 1988, according to uh, a student study of mental health, uh, an annual survey, basically uh, through 1996, the most common problems raised by students were relationship issues. And that is developmentally appropriate, you know, because, but in 1996, anxiety overtook relationship concerns and has remained the major problem, along with depression. You know, uh, 15% 
of all college students report to be uh, having an anxiety disorder or a depression of some type. You know, relationship problems haven't gone away. You know, their nature has dramatically shifted and, and severely escalated. You know, there is a obsessive uh, pursuits, uh, stalking, leading to violence on, on campuses. And these are the products of being brought up. This is when they first go out on their own. And all of a sudden, there's all these weird behaviors coming out of these kids. Also, drinking it is has totally changed you know it's basically become an antidepressant or a something to make everything goes away and so heavy drinking has also become the quickest and easiest way for them to get social acceptance cuz they're all doing it and not all but uh, so many kids on college campuses are just drinking themselves into oblivion and so these kind of stressors have to be recognized because the problem is it's developing into a a basically uh, a generation of kids and it's multiple generations actually that that are very screwed up and have a lot of mental issues because they were either not parented well or were over parented you know um some people, uh, some kids get everything laid at their doorstep for them, and the parents are real hypersensitive, and they figure out how to uh, inflate grades and manipulate the teachers, manipulate the schools to get the grades better. And by doing this, the kids don't really learn from doing hard things. And so when they have to do something hard, they just don't. Or if they do, they do it halfway. Some take the task and take on hard. But, you know, in life, Anything hard makes life easier, so people have to do hard things in life, and it's very important for, uh, you know, to not cheat a child of their childhood, meaning they have to have some bumps in the road, they have to have some resistance, they have to have some barriers. So, we're going we're gonna to dive into this thing and figure out how to be better parents and also how to parent. Now, the first thing we have to look at is ourselves. We want to be a better person. So much of the information out there about how to be a better parent focuses on techniques for modifying your child's behavior, but it's missing the mark. Research has shown that the one thing a person can do to be a better parent is to focus on developing themselves. This is where a person has to start in order to be nurturing, attuned mother or father. And when it comes to parenting, there are many reasons for us to look inward and understand ourselves as people if our goal is to become a better parent. Now, Here's a premise. Children uh, stir up buried and unresolved feelings from our own childhood, and we have to be ready for that. You know, our children often reawaken painful feelings that we long ago blocked from our awareness. The, the innocence, the liveliness, the spontaneity of a child can stir up the hurts in our own childhoods and threatens to uh, reactivate those things. You know, our avoidance of these old feelings can cause us to pull away from relating closely with our children. And at times when there's an emotional connection, we may be uncomfortable and even feel anger or resentment toward our, our child. And if we stay de defended against the feelings that are being stirred up in us, we will be cut off from our children and, and not attune with them. And our child will suffer for it. So, you know, you've got to open yourself up to challenging yourself to see what you may have gone through personally in your own childhood, but not perfect it or push it on your child, not take those feelings and project them on them. You know, we project our critical feelings about ourselves onto our children. You know, ambivalent attitudes that we have towards our children 
are simply a reflection of ambivalent attitudes that we have towards ourselves. You know, all people are divided in the sense that they have feelings uh, of warm self-regard as well as feelings of self-hatred and self-deprecation. And so, therefore, it is not surprising that parents would extend these same contradictory attitudes towards their offspring. Parents' attitudes towards their children are byproduct of their fundamental conflicts and ambivalence towards themselves. Many times what people don't realize is they project what they hate about themselves on the very people that love them. And so they project their flaws onto someone else, a child, a spouse, and that's not right. And we have to catch ourselves, and that's why we have to look at ourselves. It's not uncommon for parents to disown their self-critical attitudes and negative self-image by projecting them on their child. When they do this, they are then overly critical of these projected qualities and traits in the young kid. And as a result, children begin to see themselves through a negative filter, which will stay on them for the rest of their lives. And, and, you know, when we look into ourselves and understand where our self-critical attitudes and self-attacks come from, we will have more compassion for ourselves and our children. And children are particularly vulnerable to becoming the target of the projection of our non-conscious emotions and unresolved issues because they don't know where it's coming from. You know, our defensive adaptations come from earlier in life can restrict our ability to be receptive and empathetic to our children's internal experience. And without our own reflective uh, self-understanding engaged, defensive parental patterns of response can produce distortions in a child's experience of relating and reality. We also, we act in ways with our children that our parents did with us. So every parent has the experience most often when reprimanding a child of suddenly hearing the same critical statement that your parents said to you coming out of your mouth. And you are horrified. You cannot believe that you're acting that way towards your child. And the reality is, in spite of the parents' best intentions, they will likely reenact how they were parented. Some parents experience this when their child passes through the stage of development that was particularly painful and traumatic in their childhood. And during these phases, parents often treat the child as they were treated at that age. And so that child basically experiences your childhood. And so, you know, the transmission of parents' negative traits through the generations involves three phases. To vary degrees, All of us suffered rejection, deprivation, hostility, trauma in our formative years. And at those times that our parents were out of control, either emotionally or physically, we took on punishing parents' feelings, thoughts, attitudes towards us in the form of critical inner voice. Or in other words, we assumed the identity of our parents as they were at their worst, not as they usually were in their everyday lives. There's another phase, and that is we retain this destructive inner voice within us throughout our lives, restricting, limiting, punishing ourselves as well as soothing ourselves as we were treated and essentially parenting ourselves as we were parented. And then the final phase is when we become parents, we feel almost compelled to act out similar patterns of mistreatment to our children. And so in order to stop this, Parents have to face the painful feelings they experienced as a result of the treatment that they received. They need to parent the child they have, not the child they were. You know, you are a role model for your children. You know, it's so important to understand that, uh, you know, 
children really do as their parents do, not as they say. So being a positive role model for good behavior is far more powerful than specific training or disciplinary measures in raising children. And these processes of identification and imitation overshadow any statements, rules, prescriptions for good behaviors. Children develop behaviors through observing their parents in day-to-day life. Every behavior that a parent engages in should be worthy of imitating because children will imitate it. And it's sad to see that later in life that your child is doing what you're doing when you did negative things. You know, uh, the fact that our children are looking to us to see how to be is enough of a reason for us to focus on our development as a person. You also want to live your own life. We can best help our children not by sacrificing ourselves for them, but by trying to fulfill our own lives. When we're involved in an honest pursuit or goal, we serve as a positive example to our children. When we do hard things, we are setting an example for our children that they can do hard things. You know, we want our children to live a good life, but if we're lazy and we're bad role models, we're creating lazy, bad children. And that problem has to be solved within ourselves. You know, and, and instead of living our own lives, many parents live through their children. Rather than offering their children, they're taking from them. And these parents are, in fact, acting out emotional hunger and unsatisfied longing for love and care caused by deprivation in their own childhood. And they confuse intense feelings of need with feelings of genuine love. And so sustained contact with an emotionally hungry parent leaves a child feeling drained and empty. You know, rather than trying to strive to fulfill the role of a perfect parent or even a good parent, mothers and fathers can offer their children much more by being real with them, by admitting their shortcomings and weaknesses, by sharing with them the history of their own formative years, by revealing their personal struggles as well as their successes, and in general, relating to them as honestly as possible. Ultimately, parents, humanity, and compassion for themselves are the most significant attributes for compassionate child raising. Also, you want to let your children love you. Parents who have grown up with the image of themselves as unloved are often resistant to having close, tender moments with their children or having their child look at them with love. When parents cannot bear to feel their children loving them, they respond in a negative fashion. And, uh, you know, if you look at books on child reeling, they, they fail to give the phenomenon as the importance that it deserves. You know, our children need to be able to feel their loving feelings for us, for the people we really are behind our roles as parents. And that does not mean we are entitled to become their best friend. Now, we're going to also, now I'm going to start on the tools part of this, and we're going to talk about boundaries. You know, boundaries without strong but flexible boundaries, you may be overly vulnerable to criticism or insults from others, but you also may struggle to manage your feelings internally or be prone to emotional outbursts, and you may find yourself worrying too much or dwelling on the past and not keeping yourself safe enough. You know, people with childhood uh, emotional neglect often have overly rigid internal boundaries, which blocks off their emotions too completely. So they cannot come across to others as excessively unflappable or even emotionally bland. So if your parents had a personality disorder, and your internal or external boundaries may be overly porous or too flexible, resulting in emotional outbursts and difficulty managing your feelings. So the hallmark of a healthy boundary is being strong but flexible. 
And as adults, one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to understand boundaries and work on building them for ourselves. Now, there's four types of essential boundaries. There's the physical boundary, and this boundary is the easiest to visualize and understand and has probably been the most researched out there. And it indicates that the average American requires about two feet of personal space, 18 inches behind them to be comfortable. And so it's important to understand that we all have a physical boundary and it's not at where our body is, it's actually outside of our body. Now, different cultures around the world have different body space, but most people have an energy around them, and we, if we look inside ourselves, can see that, and we know when we're invading someone's uh, body language or uh, barrier because they start to get defensive or back off or their eyes open a little bit wider, and that's because you're in their space. There's also an external boundary, and this boundary must be strong but flexible, and it serves as a filter that protects you from insults and injuries that come from the outside. So when you receive criticism at work, when your spouse tells you that they're angry, or, or, or when a driver calls you an obscene name, or when your sister calls you selfish, the boundary kicks in. It talks to you, uh, it talks you through what the other person said or did to you and helps you sort out what's real feedback and what should you take seriously. A lot of people overstate themselves to be heard. And so when they, especially people that they love or they're comfortable with, and so they criticize overly and don't choose their words well, and we have to be able to filter through that and not be so defensive. Now, there's also an internal boundary, and this is the boundary which uh, protects you and others from yourself. It serves as a filter between our feelings and what to do with them. And this boundary helps you sort through your intense anger, your hurt, your pain, and decide whether or not or how to express it. And it is important to understand with that internal boundary that we have to be able to decipher between our thoughts and our feelings because both are entirely different. So when you're uh, trying to debate on how to say something, think about what you think and think about what you feel and use your thought as the first thing and then your feeling to motivate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to finish up on the last boundary uh, and then we're going to talk about some uh, exercises you can do and then we're going to move on into discipline and single parenting and regular old parenting through all of the developmental stages. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Look 
get inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, Parenting 101 today, and we're, not, we're working on uh, the idea of boundaries. And I'll just get down to it with boundaries. You know, our job is to lock the door, and our children's job is to jiggle the handle. A lot of people have trouble locking the door and keeping it locked, and that means saying no when it's healthy for our children to, to hear a no. And so boundaries are about when to say no, and we have to measure that. You know, we also have to realize, and I'm talking about different types of boundaries, I'm talking about a temporal boundary and we all carry our past experiences within us, and we can often tend to dwell on them in a way that is not helpful. And on top of that, old feelings often attach themselves to current experiences and emerge when we least expect them. And this is why people blow up over burnt toast or simple, easy things that all of a sudden just take us over. So spending too much time imagining or worrying about or dreading the future can cause anxiety and and prevent us from living in the moment. Your temporal boundary senses when you're going too far back or forward and it pulls you back to the moment. Now the deal is, is saying no, learning to say no in a healthy way to a child means that you don't make it an emotional no. You know, if a child hears you go, no, or no, 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 or no, 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 I've told you a million times, no. That means that there's a yes in there. And the child knows that. When they hear you have to put so much energy into saying no, what they realize is if they keep going after you, there's going to be a yes because you're sick of hearing them. And they're going to wear you down and wear you down. So people that have trouble with no have children that will repeatedly ask for absurd things that they should not be asking for, but they do because they know they can get away with it and they can get more power over you and they can get more benefits from you and they can get more toys and they can get more things or they could go to their friends' houses more often. They could dictate more of their life. And the sad truth is parents really struggle with no. So no is best said flat and straight. No. And they go, but, 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 no means no. But, 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 if I hear it one more time, I'm, you're going to get a consequence. And uh, we're going to take whatever away for the next week. 
then we go on. It's that simple. You know, we're set boundaries for our kids to try to make their life better. Make them understand that they're not in full control, number one. And number two is that they have to respect other people. And if they don't respect you, how do you expect them to respect other people? And so they're going to become manipulative people if we develop them into not understanding a no. And so it's important. If you're going to be a parent, you have to know how to say no. You don't have to make it absurd. You don't have to make it emotional. You don't have to make it excessive. You don't have to make it dramatic. Just say no. No means no. Don't spend so much energy on being a parent like that, setting a boundary. But unfortunately, a lot of people have trouble with boundaries. Now, let's talk about discipline. You know, discipline is so important. Here's abuse. Abuse is punishing your child when you're angry, whether it's spanking, whether it is consequences. If you're going to be so, so incredibly angry in the moment, that is not the time for you to punish your child. What you want to do is say, you've upset me, and in a half hour or whatever it takes for you to wind down, I'm going to give you a consequence, and I'm going to think this through, and I need you to go to your room or get out of my space, and that's that. Do not ever, ever make a parenting decision while you're angry. It's a terrible time to do that. That is abuse. It is abuse in every form of fashion, especially if you put your hands on your child when you're angry. We, If you're going to spank, and, and at least the rule of law is in California and in, in the United States – that you have to not do it with an object, number one, and number two, that's called capital punishment, by the way, and number two is you never do it when you're angry. You do it to teach, and so it's important for us as parents to understand that these very dramatic moments when we're punishing a child uh, need to be more focused on teaching them a lesson than trying to hurt their feelings because they hurt you. So discipline, you know, kids don't come with a parenting manual, and there's no course that teaches the necessary skills to become a parent. And parenting requires a multitude of skills. Uh, While no one is ever going to be a perfect parent, some parents have sharper parenting skills than others. But the good news is that everyone can sharpen their skills. You know, parenting books, classes, support groups can be excellent resources to help parents sharpen their skills. Come to therapy. I can teach you that, too. Any therapist could that, that... you know, is reputable. Recognize safety issues. The most effective parents seem to be able to sniff out a danger a mile away. They're well-versed on internet safety, uh, the, the latest safety equipment, and they recognize a child predator when they see one. They find balance between overprotecting the child and throwing the child to the wolves. However, they allow for natural consequences only when it is safe to do so to teach children skills to make healthy decisions. You know, with discipline, we want to provide a positive example. You know, parents who say, do as I say, not as I do, are not effective. Children learn many of their behaviors by observing their parents. So modeling appropriate behaviors is an essential parenting skill. Although it can be hard to set time limits on your electronics use and use polite words, even when you're angry, it's important to remember that your child is always, always watching you. You also want to set appropriate limits, knowing when to say no and how to stick your li- to your limits 
developed in a skill that takes practice. And over time, you'll know how much your child can handle or how to help them cope with disappointment when you won't let them do something that they want to do. All kids are different. And just because a child is a certain age doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready for specific privileges. Sometimes setting limits involves a little trial and error as parents discover how to help the child learn best. You know, giving a child at six years old a cell phone may not be a good example because they may not be ready for that. And, you know, you have to understand that if you're going to give like a smartphone to a child or a teenager, what's going to happen is that you've just given them all new ways to communicate with all kinds of people. And that means you as a parent have to take responsibility to monitor what your child is doing with that. You also want to enforce consequences consistently. Effective parents don't just threaten consequences, they follow through with them. And that needs to be rip the soul straight out of your body consequences so that they understand, hey, you mean business. You know, the deal is putting a child on a contract is a great thing because what it does is it says if you do one of these five behaviors, if you don't do your homework, if you don't clean your room, if you talk back, if, if you keep asking me and I tell you no and you just keep asking, if there's any of those behaviors going on, you can consequence them in the contract. Just say this is what will happen if you do that. Now, if they don't do any of the things they're not supposed to do, you need to give them a reward, whether it's time to play on their computer. It doesn't have to cost money. It could be something that they really want to do. You know, you can go to your friend's house for an extra couple hours or whatever. You know, the deal is, is that we want to incent the child to do good, but we want to have very defined things that they cannot do. And if you do that, if you put them on a contract and make them sign it, You have to follow through with that. You can't just fudge it and every once in a while implement the contract. You have to do it on a daily basis. But if you do that, it makes your parenting so much easier and it puts the responsibility on the child to have to manage the contract rather than you. You don't even have to discuss the consequence. If it's taking their cell phone away for a week, guess what? You didn't do the contract. That's your deal. And that teaches what's called responsibility. And that is a great way to parent. You know, you also, if you reinforce those consequences uh, consistently on, on a vital, it's a vital part of helping kids learn to manage their behavior better. So if a child only receives uh, negative consequences for their behavior half the time, the misbehavior isn't likely to stop. But, but clear and consistent consequences will help them learn. So there's also positive where we're, we're incenting them for doing the good things. And saying, hey, this is great, but on the other side, we also have to be clear and disciplined in our parenting approach to give them discipline when they cross the line. And it can't be random. It needs to be, and it can't be done in anger. It needs to be done according to your agreement with the child. Also, uh, you know, we want to choose our battles wisely. You know, effective discipline requires that parents are able to recognize whether a battle is worth the fight. Sometimes behaviors just aren't worth addressing if they're likely to lead to power struggles. For example, if a six-year-old wants to wear uh, rain galoshes on a sunny day, allowing them to do so might make more sense so that they can experience a sunny day and how hot their feet are going to be. Uh, wearing uh, galoshes. You know, you also want to manage stress effectively. Parents who manage their stress effectively are much better equipped 
to deal with behavior problems. Stressed out parents are more likely to yell and be inconsistent with dis- discipline. So stressed out parents are also more likely to use uh, punishment rather than discipline. And it can lead to an unhealthy cycle. And there is a difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline is teaching. Punishment is just done out of anger. You know, and this can lead to very unhealthy cycles if you're constantly stressed. As kids are more likely to act worse when a parent is stressed out because they know that your boundaries are down and you're probably more crazy than they are. You also want to provide positive attention. Find time to give kids daily positive attention. And this can make a big difference in their life. A few minutes of positive attention also makes other discipline strategies much more effective. And so it's, it's a skill, however, to create one-on-one time with the child, but it can make a huge difference to a child's overall well-being to know that you're going to spend some quality, positive time with them. You also want to establish clear expectations. When kids don't understand what is expected of them, it can be impossible for them to meet a parent's expectations. The most effective parents are able to explain their expectations and the reasons and the intentions behind the expectations. Now, one of the biggest challenges that most people face today, many do, much higher than our population maybe 50 years ago, is single parenting. You know, as a single parent, you bear the sole responsibility for disciplining your children, shaping their behavior, helping them make good choices day in and day out. You can't count on having someone else there to back you up or help you choose the most appropriate consequences when disciplinary action is needed. So in order to make quick, sound decisions, you'll need to develop a toolkit of effective child discipline. Number one, establish a set of house rules. Testing your limits is healthy, but part of your child's growth and development in order to be effective disciplinarian, you need to have a game plan in place before they misbehave. What are your expectations? Create a set of three to five Discipline rules, slap it on the fridge and make those the house rules that apply at all times, even when you're not home, in addition to taking the time to occasionally review those rules together to reinforce the expectations. But you also want to let them know what their consequence is likely to be. And once again, that consequence has to be based on a commodity that the child values, that they need, that they want. Now, their job is to act like it's not important to them, but it is important. If you know it's important, if you know it's something they spend a lot of time with, they do not want you to take that away. They may not act like they want you to take it away, but just do it. Do it, do it, do it. Also, you want to use praise to your advantage. Testing your limits is a healthy part of your child's growth and development. So in order to be an effective disciplinarian, you need to have a game plan in place before they misbehave. So develop a firm and serious tone of voice, number one. It's important for us as parents to realize that raising our voices or yelling only teaches our children to tune us out. Instead, develop a serious tone that you can turn on when you want your kids to know that you mean business. And also, it's not a bad idea to do the one, two, three count. I'm going to count to three, and you have to make a choice whether you want to do this or not. And if you don't, this is what the consequence is. One, blah, 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 blah. Two, blah, 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 blah. And three. Usually, if they know at the three you're going to intervene, they will do what they need to do. And that count can become very powerful. So you either use a certain tone of voice or you use a one, two, three count. But you do it to give them time to think themselves out of the bad behavior. 
Um, you also want to, if you're a parent, and your children misbehave, as a single parent, your parent, your children misbehave because they want to tell us or, to, you know, find out where the line is. So communicating a boundary tells your child that you believe you're capable, they're capable of managing their own behavior. And so, for example, you might say you're welcome to play outside, but you must stay in the backyard. So setting a boundary is what I'm talking about to keep them safe. You also want to redirect. And sometimes the most appropriate child discipline response is simply redirecting your child's attention. And sometimes you want to hit them with a different sense. Put some music on. Put their favorite TV show on. Do, do something visual. Start reading a book out loud. Uh, ask them to help you with something. If you shift from the argument into something more constructive, what you're going to find is they're going to de-escalate. Sometimes you can simply ignore misbehavior and your child will learn to modify on their own. If you don't give it attention, like if you're walking through the store, you know, I can't hear you when you're whining is a good statement. Or, you know, uh, I'm going to ignore you until the whining stops. You know, before long, they'll realize the best way to maintain your attention, which is what they want, is to curb the whining. Uh, also, time out can be an effective child strategy. And, and timeouts, usually it's one minute for every year of their life. And so that timeout is a very important thing, especially with the toddlers, so they can learn that, hey, you mean business, and they're going to have to sit there and think about what they did. But don't give them a timeout and just say you're out of timeout. You want to ask them, what did you do wrong? And are you going to apologize? You want an apology, and you want them to know what they did wrong. Also, uh, loss of privileges. You know, removing uh, uh, privileges is a very powerful uh, child discipline tool. When your children begin to outgrow uh, timeout strategy, you begin to put uh, toys in timeout, or this might change removing a video game privileges or whatever, you know, television time or uh, their favorite clothing, whatever it is. Those are good consequences, losing those privileges that they have. If they've got $100 tennis shoes, then they may end up having to wear $5 shoes for the week. You know, their self-image gets affected there. So, in uh, natural consequences is also another way to parent. You, you know, child's actions speak for themselves. If, if your preteen gets detention at school for talking back to the teacher, don't intervene and try to arrange for more convenient punishment. Instead, allow your child to experience the unsettling result of natural consequences. You know, behavior modification is also another way. When you help your uh, child become more aware of a certain behavior by noting their progress on a chart or a calendar, that is a great thing. You know, they may have to start taking responsibility for brushing their teeth or, uh, you know, but what you have to do is you have to create a chart and you have to create an incentive for doing good. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to talk about uh, parenting a toddler, parenting preteens, and then parenting teenagers. Come back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. 
Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, Parenting 101. We're going to start on on this last segment with parenting a toddler, and we're going to move all the way through teenagers. We're going to have to go quick, but we're going to hit some strong points. Very important for a toddler is to feel safe. Showing your love. As a parent, you make sure you display your affection at all times, even and especially during consequences and punishment. You know, hugs, kisses, good-natured, roughhousing to reassure your child of your love. Praise and attention also can motivate your toddler to follow the rules. You also want to prioritize rules because children have a hard time remembering. And so rather than overloading with rules on the outset, which might frustrate them, prioritize those geared towards safety and uh, gradually added rules over time. So you want to help your toddler follow the rules about child-proofing your home and eliminating some temptations that are not good for them. Also, you want to prevent tantrums. It's normal for, for a kid, a toddler, to have temper tantrums, to reduce the, especially when they're tired, and to reduce frequency, duration, intensity. You want to know your child's limits. If your child might misbehave because they don't understand or can't do what you're asking, you also want to explain how to follow the rules. Instead of saying, stop hitting, offer suggestions for how to make play go more smoothly, such as, why don't you two take turns? Also, take no in stride. Don't overreact when your toddler says no. Instead, calmly repeat your request. You might also try to distract your child or make a game out of a good behavior. So your child will be more likely to do what you want if you make an activity fun. The next thing you want to do to prevent tantrums is pick your battles. If you say no to everything, your child is likely to get frustrated. So look for times when it's okay to say yes. And parents oftentimes don't understand that they've boxed their child in so bad that the child is just utterly bored. And so you also want to offer choices when possible. You want to encourage your toddler's Independence by letting them pick out a pair of pajamas at bedtime or pick a book or, or pick a show that they can watch. You know, you also want to offer choices when possible. Encourage their independence by letting them pick, uh, you know, once again, be independent. You want to teach them to, to like to make choices for themselves because that's part of life. You also want to avoid situations that may trigger frustration or tantrums. You know, don't give your child toys that are too advanced for them. Avoid long outings in which your child has to sit still and can't play or bring along an activity that they can do. You know, it's it's terrible. You know, it's amazing. 
going to Disneyland, let's say, is a long process to get into the park. After you go through the parking, after you go through the drive to get there, after you go through the say, security screening, after you go through trying to get into the park itself, then you have all these gazillion people there. You have to realize that your child, by the time you get there, is probably going to be fairly tired. So you want to make good time when you're at some place like that and recognize that your child is tired because of the process to get to the fun thing. You also want to enforce, uh, encourage their communication. Remind your child to use their words when they're expressing their feelings. Use your words. Don't start throwing things. Don't start screaming. Just use your words. That teaches them to manage their emotions. And uh, you also uh, want to stick to a schedule because daily routines are what children thrive on. They love consistency. That means things are are uh, safe for them. And and so, you know, more rituals, the more, the more the daily structure or the weekly structure is there, the more they feel like things are correct and right. They get out of balance when we throw too many new things at them. You also want to enforce consequences. And despite your best efforts, some point your toddler will break the rules. So ignore minor displays of anger, such as crying. But if your child hits, kicks, screams or for a prolonged period, remove them from the situation and consider using these parenting tips to encourage your child to cooperate. Natural consequences, once again, and, you know, is... is, is means that if they break a toy, you don't replace it. Uh, you know, logical consequences, which create a consequence for your child's actions. Tell your child that they don't, uh, if they don't pick up their toys, you will take them away. Put a box out in the garage. And every time you have to pick up toys, throw them in the box. If they want one of the toys out of the box, they got to empty the whole box and put everything back. You also want to withhold the privileges and you want to use the timeouts. One year for every year of their life. One minute for every year of their life. All right, now, if you're parenting a preteen, you know, you do not want to feel rejected by their independence. It's important and appropriate for kids at this age to start turning away from their parents and relying more on their friends. But parents can take their preteen's withdrawal as rejection, and all too often, parents personalize some of the distance that occurs and misinterpret it as willful refusal or maybe an oppositional behavior. But it is normal for them to want to begin to take control of their life. Uh, But be aware that they still want you in their life. They just want to be able to be a little bit more independent. So that means you have to shift your rules to more about choices. You have the choice to do the good thing. You could either come home at six or do the bad thing is not come home at six and have the consequence that you're going to have to go to bed after dinner. You know, that's very simple stuff. And you also want to set aside special time for these preteens because it's often tough to get them to open up and talk. And so, you know, establishing a special period of one-on-one time or twice a week that you spend with your tween You provide them with undivided attention and you're not working or texting at that time. Talk to them. Play a game with them. Do something. In doing this, you're not only improving your relationship, but you're also teaching interpersonal skills that are going to be critical in the future. You know, that quality time is key. You also try an indirect approach. When they were younger, you could ask uh, direct questions. You know, how was school? How did you do on the test? Now, the direct question is is kind of scary to them because it doesn't always work and they're not always doing what they're supposed to do. So that oftentimes they get defensive. Um, we also need to uh, don't want to be overly judgmental. 
You know, at this age, they are watching you astutely to hear how judgmental you are. If you're judgmental, you're going to push them away. Also, uh, you want to watch out for what they watch. Uh, You know, they, beginning in middle school, watching that stuff your child wants to watch with them, you have to be able to, to filter and not have them watching rated R stuff and stuff that's over their head. You don't want to be encouraging them to be spending adult, adult time with them. That's not healthy. It's not good for them. Also, don't be afraid to start a conversations about sex and drugs. They're hearing about it from their friends. Believe me. And you want to understand that, hey, this may not be uh, some, a conversation that I want their best friend to be teaching them about. This is something that I need to teach them. You also don't want to overreact. Um, you, you, you don't want to be clueless either, but, you know, you want to encourage them to be able to talk to you that you're not going to get crazy on them and, uh, and overreact and start punishing them before you hear them out. You know, you want to challenge their process of making their decisions, not their outcomes. And that means we're looking for what their intentions were. You know, uh, you also want to nurture their emotional side. Now, parenting a teen uh, you, you need to give leeway. Teens, it, they need to have a chance to establish their identity. And giving them more of a, uh, independence is essential to helping them establish their own place in the world. But if it means that they're going out with a bad crowd, that's another thing. So you want to choose your battles with them wisely. You know, do not, uh, doing themselves harm or doing something that could be permanent like a tattoo, those things matter. But a messy room, those don't always matter. Don't nitpick. Invite their friends for dinner so you can get to know who they're hanging out with. That is another very, very important thing to get to know their friends and them to get to know you. And you also want to decide rules and discipline in advance, you know, that you don't want to spring it on them because as a teen, that could be extremely hurtful. They make commitments to their friends. They want to communicate with their friends and all of a sudden you're throwing a wrench in it. Uh, just by having some random thing. They want to know when they're going to be disciplined, why and how. And, uh, you know, it's very important to have them touch, you know, be checking in. They have to have a way to check in with you. And they need to follow that and you need to take that very, very seriously. You also want to give teens a game plan. You know, tell them, you know, if the only option is getting into a car with a drunk driver, call me. If it's, I don't care if it's whatever time in the evening. You also want to help them how to uh, potentially handle unsafe situations. You know, you want to brainstorm with them. You want to get on board with them to help them understand how to process. You also want to um, keep the door open. Don't interrogate, but act interested. You know, share a few tidbits about your own day or uh, ask how was the concert or how was the date or how was your day. You know, you may not feel like talking about what happened right now. I know what it's like, but if you feel like talking about it later, then come to me. That keeps the door open so your communication is good with the teenager. You also want to let kids feel guilty. Uh, You know, self-esteem is not hurt by them having to think about what they've done or said. You know, feeling good about yourself is healthy, but people should feel bad if they have hurt someone or done something wrong. Kids need to feel bad sometimes. So guilt is a healthy emotion. So when kids have done something wrong, we hope they feel bad and we hope they feel guilty. And so using that understanding and in a healthy way, you know, hey, I don't like what you said. I don't like what you did. You'll have to live with that and just leave it. 
You know, and you want to be a role model. Your actions, even more than your words, are critical to helping teens adopt good moral and ethical standards because they see the results. Now, if you have teen girls, you want to stop trying to be their best friend. It is not healthy or realistic to think that your daughter will reveal every detail of their life to you as they might a best friend. This can be heartbreaking, especially for moms, but the teen years are about appropriate separation and independence. If you want her to be able to manage more of herself and life without you involved every step, this should increase each year. She needs you to be her parent. She needs your guidance, your wisdom. She needs you to be stable and strong. And so she needs consistency in the relationship and to be able to explore their views, her views with w- w- about herself and the world. You know, girls know when their parent is trying to be something other than a parent and they don't like it. Yes, they're growing up and thinking more and more for themselves, but they she they know they're not a grown-up and they need you to be that parent. They need you to have your own life with your own friends, and she can't be your everything. She feels it when you put her in that role, and she doesn't want to hurt your feelings, but she wants you to stop. And it's common in divorce situations for one or both parents to depend too much on their daughters for emotional support. And they feel that, and it pushes them away. Worse, they may end up believing they need to take care of their parent as a role model. And, and also, we want to stop invalidating their emotional experiences. And we're talking about teen girls. This is one of the hardest yet most effective relationship game changers. Her emotional experiences, her emotional experiences. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just may be a different one than yours. When you tell her to stop feeling something that she's already feeling, it's incredibly hurtful and damaging. You know, if she's scared and you tell her she shouldn't be, it confuses her because she is scared. You know, you are much better off validating her emotions and her emotional experiences and saying very little and then tell her how, and you don't want to be telling her how she should or shouldn't be feeling. Teen girls' emotions tend to be all over the place because they're developing and learning about their emotional experience. So it makes sense to her emotions might be up and down. You know, validation is an agreement. It's about communicating to her. You know, I understand. I hear what you're saying. So what you're telling me is this. That is a good thing. Validation reduces her anxiety. Invalidation increases it and makes her emotions even worse. You'll build a much deeper connection by learning how to validate their her emotions. Also, think about it. How makes you feel when you are upset and someone tells you to get over it? Not good. And so what do you expect a preteen to do? Rebel, rebel, rebel. All right. If you can learn to listen more and talk less, you're going to have a better relationship and more influence on your child, your daughter. And you also want to stop planning her life for her. Girls can begin to feel this pressure in middle school, and it typically gets worse over time. Almost every parent has some vision for their child. That is a very normal, and the intentions are good, but the common problem is that parents have a difficult time letting their daughter choose their path, and that can be very scary. So people-pleasing daughters will not tell you no and will not uh, tell you that the pressure is too much, but they will pull back from you just enough that you aren't connected as you could be or should be. And and so, you know, they need, they need the space to explore their self and what it is to be themselves. Also, uh, now, if we're looking at teenage boys, you know, 
teenage girls get very angry too, but of course they tend to be more uh, amenable to processing emotions and take and, and and working through them. Teenage boys need a lot of structure. Both parents need to know where he is, what he's doing at all times. Don't fall into the you don't trust me trap. The issue isn't trust, but a realistic assessment, you know, uh, uh, of the dangers in the world. And adolescents must negotiate with uh, limited prefrontal cortex development. Before 18, a child does not have sufficient articulation and judgment and regulatory areas of the brain to be able to see the possible consequences of their dangers. So compassionate parents focus on the long-term well-being of the child. So a good parental uh, rejoiner that you don't trust me is, I don't trust myself enough to know that you'll be safe and well without knowing that you are and what you're doing. So uh, you need to communicate. You also, um, there you have to communicate with boys that they are part of a family and a community which requires some emotional investment. In small ways, helping the family with chores, occasional volunteer work. You also want to respect uh, their rights, uh, people's rights and their property. This is a lesson you want to teach a boy. And also money is a resource that must be managed responsibly. Another lesson for boy. In general, boys do not do auditory process as well as girls. And so, you know, you want to be able to not just speak words, but you want to demonstrate how to do things when you're teaching them. And you also want to make eye contact with boys and try to touch them while you speak. And I'm not saying anywhere weird, but I'm, you know, trying to get them to understand that you're focused. Also, uh, use short sentences and give them a chance to respond before going on. Never lecture. You know, it's easy for boys to get into the habit of uh, automatically tuning out their... um, their parents. And so if you're all auditory, then what's going to happen is they're not going to listen to you. Also with boys, responsibility is the big thing. You know, it's it's incredibly important for them to uh, be able to understand the words of responsibilities. All right, that's our show. Our next show is post-traumatic stress disorder. I want to thank everybody for listening. Love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGBMFT. Or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember, don't yell at your kids. Lean in and whisper. It's much creepier. Also, four stages in life. You believe in Santa. Then you don't believe. You become Santa. Then you start to look like Santa. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 